All right, to start out this morning, I have a quick survey by show of hands. In your house, do shoes come off before you walk inside? Yes or no? Okay. How about this one? After the meal is over, do the plates go in the sink or do they get put into the dishwasher? How many sink? All right. And how many dishwasher? Okay. All right. All right. Are you ready for this one? Okay. How about when you get to the end of the roll of toilet paper? Okay. Do you leave those four sheets of single-ply Charmin for the next occupant? Anyone? Ah, okay. Or do you replace it with a new roll? Yes, right? That is the correct answer. Good. So the question is, how do things roll in your home? Uh, Every house has its own set of house rules, and You know, some are set on purpose, others just take shape over time. Some are strict and kind of rigid. Uh, Others are a little more open and and free-flowing, but they're always there, some set of house rules. And it even applies uh, at fast food restaurants. Um, Posted at the entry door of every McDonald's, you'll see it. No shoes, no shirt, no service. And it always made me wonder, what about pants? but I don't know. We're, we're starting a new series this morning. Um, it's called House Rules. It comes from the book of First Timothy, which we're going to um, make our way through over the next several weeks. And, and if we open it up to the very first verse, what we find out is that this book is actually a letter. We're reading a letter. Uh, it was written by the Apostle Paul, and it's written to this young church leader. His name is Timothy. And it's also, it's, it's an open letter, which means that it wasn't private, that the church that Timothy was leading would have read it. They would have had access to it. They would have heard it. And, 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 and the purpose of the letter is found in chapter 3, verse 14. Uh, Paul tells Timothy this. He says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. See, this letter is about house rules at church. Uh, The church is described as a spiritual family, the household of God. And, And so just like your house and my house, God's house has a set of house rules. There's a way that God wants things to roll. And It's not like, you know, laying down the law kind of rules. It's not like meant to make people nervous or or scared or fearful. These are intended to keep things healthy, to keep things functional at the local church level, because without them, what happens is churches can kind of become dysfunctional uh, over the course of time, and, and that is an ongoing challenge, because One thing that's true in every church you will ever go to, in every place, is that everyone who goes to that church is an imperfect person. Uh, Every one of us, we are, we have been, and we will continue to be people in process until Jesus returns. And, And what that means is that the same character flaws that show up at home in our physical families, sooner or later, 
maybe you've noticed this, they show up at church in interspiritual families. So whether it's authority issues or, or anger issues or arrogance or unforgiveness or laziness or people-pleasing or gossip, whatever it is, sooner or later, it's, it's bound to surface. And that may sound a little like nerve-wracking, but I actually think it's kind of a good thing. Because if we lean into that, God actually will use this connection to this spiritual church family of ours that we're a part of to to help work things through and work things out. And and the end product is we grow, we we mature. So um, so, so I want to invite you to lean in as we unpack these house rules over the next several weeks. And, and, and full disclosure, this, it, this, is a, this is a challenging series we're going to work through. And, and you may find yourself squirming in your seat a little bit. Um, if and when that happens, please know this, we're all squirming, right? You're surrounded by people who are just like you, Maybe we have issues in different areas, but we're all people in process, and, and sometimes squirming is the first step to sanctification. You see, it's a good thing. So, so if we bring humble attitudes, if, if we bring teachable hearts, the goal is to grow, to grow in godliness together. So I also, I also want to mention that as a local church here at Lakeview, we're at a place where there are some house rules that they've been set, but they, they kind of need to get level set in different ways. And, you know, typically, I, I go out of my way to not use the pulpit to, like, fire off at people, you know, like to, to make, um, you know, passive-aggressive references. Rather than talking to a person, I'll mention it from the pulpit. I, I try not to do that. I go out of my way not to target, except for this time. Um, <laughs> but I'm telling you about it, so it's not going to be passive-aggressive. It's just going to be aggressive, <laughs> straight up. Um, no, not really. Really, what, what I mean to say is that, that I want to make some very, very direct applications. Probably this morning, more than we will in the coming weeks, but I don't know. We'll see how that goes. Uh, reason being, there has been, oh, just a few little small kind of issues that have kind of bubbled up over the last bit, and nothing major. Things have been addressed, and some of it's resolved rather quickly. Others are still kind of TBD. And when that's the case, and it, it gets that way, you know, it kind of becomes a seedbed for gossip. And so, I don't want that, so I'd rather just, like, put it out there, use the, the bully pulpit. That's what I'll do, the bully pulpit, and, in hopes of nipping things in the bud. So, so, so know um, that my intent is not to point fingers um, at anyone except for myself. Um, the goal is to help things stay healthy, functional in, in this house, because... This church, we're, we're far from perfect, but thank God, by the grace of God, there's like, there's some good stuff going on around here. You know, it's exciting. There's great things happening, and we want to keep it that way. Um, 
I also hope that as we work through different things that we'll be able to laugh a little bit. Um, you see, here's what I've found. I've been doing church ministry for like 25 years, and I have found out that the local church provides plenty of comedic material, a lot of it. Actually, I'm going to provide most of it, but uh, I am hoping that we can uh, laugh through things a little bit. So let's jump in, and, and I want to share house rule number one, and this one is drawn just from that purpose, the purpose of, of 1 Timothy that we just read. Here it is. In this house, when it comes to church, we do not bash it, we build it. Okay, so this, the idea is this household of God that we are a part of, Paul describes it as the church of the living God. Like, it's a pretty high view of it, you know. So, so don't bash it, build it. It's a flawed family we belong to, but it's the bride of Christ. And that means it's something that's precious to him. And so in this house here, we honor it. We treat it with care. And, and that applies specifically to this household of faith that we're a part of. But what I want to say is that it also extends to the church at large because they are our extended family. We're, we're not disconnected from them. We are a part of that. And, you know, there are times when... People treat church and talk about church like it's a game of Super Smash Brothers, um, like it's a sign of spiritual maturity to be able to point out every flaw, every failure with the church. And, and with some people, it's just like nonstop criticism, you know, like sound the alarm, the, the church is in shambles, the problems are all over the place. And then they say, but Pastor Brian, just realize, I'm not talking about our church. I'm talking about the church. And, and, and by that, you know, the church in large, the church in general. And my, my, my question is, what the heck does that even mean? Like, how do you do that? How do you actually talk about the church in general, but no church in particular? And if you can answer that question, the next one is, why would you even want to? Like, and then if you can answer that question, I got one more. What qualifies you to speak as an authority on the church? And can I tell you what the answer I usually get is? I watched a few YouTube videos. Okay, that explains everything. Um, if you find yourself panic-stricken over the state of the church... I have good news for you. I have a message for you. It comes directly from Jesus. It's found in Matthew 16, 18. Listen to what he says. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's it. I, I think that's what you call a mic drop moment, right? That assures us that Jesus is on the job, that the buck stops with him, that his church was, is, and will continue to operate under his sovereign authority and oversight. But I have even more good news. Jesus is still today, right now, active and present and continually at work in his church. 
If you get a chance, read through Revelation chapter 2. When you get home, it's this beautiful scene, this imagery where it shows Jesus walking in and amongst his churches. And what he does is he affirms his churches specifically for all the things that are going right. Please take note of that. Leading with affirmation. That he's also, at the same time, he's also giving feedback. He's course correcting. He's it's not some kind of broad brush kind of thing. It's very specific. Personally, this is what needs to be worked on wherever that's necessary. See, that's, that's Jesus' job. It's what he does, and he's really good at it. He's really good at it. And there's a way in which we join him in that work. We're, we're actually going to talk about that next. That's where we're going next. But, but let's just stop and say, hallelujah, Lord right? It's not up to me. It's not up to you. It's not up to us. Because if it were, I don't know how any of us would be able to sleep at night. Um, So I'll borrow a line from President Biden that I think might apply in this case. Next time you're thinking about bashing God's house, don't. (laughs) Just don't, right? And, and think about it, isn't that the same thing any husband would tell anyone who made a personal hobby out of pointing out all the flaws in his wife? Don't. That's out of line. So house rule number one, don't bash this house down, build it up. Have you had enough? <laughs> um, I got two more to go. I, I, are you ready for another one? Okay. Um, this one, we're going to go back to the beginning of the book, chapter 1, verses 3 to 7, house rule number 2. In this house, authority applies. Operate within it, not around it. Here's what he says. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrines, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. All right, so Paul... Paul's urging Timothy to exercise authority at his church. And what it is, he's to charge certain people to stop teaching what they're teaching. Now, now that word charge, it's a pretty strong word, right? So we're not talking about, hey, you know, drop a hint, make a suggestion. To, To charge means to order, to command authoritatively. And what it's getting at is that authority applies in God's house. Uh, Sometimes people come to church and they assume, you know, the church organizational chart, it's flat, right? All we have to do is we could just, if we just pray, then the Holy Spirit will lead us. And then, you know, I always say, you know, that sounds really good, but, but why is it whenever we do that, things always go your way? It's, it's interesting how that happens. 
But empowered leadership, authority, it's, it applies. And it's actually a major theme in this letter of 1 Timothy. It's a mark of a healthy church. And it starts with Jesus. He's the ultimate authority over his church. And Paul, he's, he introduces himself as an apostle. He says he didn't grab after that title. It was entrusted to him by command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus. And then he delegates authority to Timothy. And then in chapter 3, we'll see that it's Timothy's call to entrust that authority to elders. Uh, not, not with a name tag authority. It's not like, I've got a title, now you have to listen to me. This is entrusted to men with character authority. That the way they live backs up the things that they say and the way that they lead. Now, authority is usually a prickly subject. For good reasons, but particularly here in the good old U.S. of A., um, where independence is idolized, authority issues surface a lot. And so in a Jeff Foxworthy kind of way, I've got a thing. So if you say, my authority lies with Jesus, not with church leaders, you may have authority issues. If you say, I have no problem submitting to authority as long as I agree with it, you too may have authority issues. You might not understand what authority is. Um, see, the reality is there is never no authority. There's always an authority. It's always somewhere, and the question is, where is it? Who has it? Is it in the right place, or is it coming out sideways in some kind of dysfunctional way? That's the concern, and, and particular concern from the leaders is given to the teaching the teaching that's circulating at the local church level. So in Timothy's church, things were kind of turning into a free-for-all. There were, there were some who were teaching what Paul describes as different doctrines. Now, now, these weren't like official teachers in the church. It's not like they had a class that people could sign up for and attend. Don't think of it that way. These are, these are just people who are speaking authoritatively into another person's life. This is what you need to do. This is what's right. That's what's wrong. This is the way things are. And so if you think about it, when you're in any kind of conversation, if you're in a group or whatever it is, and you're using the words like, well, you know what? I think, or I feel, or I'm wrestling through, or even my conviction is, that's kind of sharing, right? It's when the words start moving from me to you, when I start telling you what to do, you should. When you start telling, that's when you cross over and you're starting to teach. And by and large, that's a good thing, right? You know, we all need to be taught. We want to grow. We want to learn. It's good so long as the content that's being taught is sound. But it's not good when the content is off. And so therein lies the problem. The teaching that was circulating in Timothy's church was unsound. It says there's different doctrines that they're being taught, and foreign ideas were being brought into the church, and they were out of bounds. They didn't square with Scripture. And not only that, it also talks about these speculations that had been circulating as well, that there were people in, in, in this church that were getting wrapped up 
in all the wrong things. And that had less to do with this is right and this is wrong. It's had a lot more to do with majoring on the minors, sucking people up into vain discussions, controversies that are riling people up, but in the end, they're just a waste of time. So their vain discussions, they had something to do with Old Testament law. We're going to read about it is in verses 8 to 10, and, and scholars over the centuries have tried to reconstruct what actually is it that they were wrestling through, and what they've concluded is they don't know. Um, and that's okay, because that would not actually be the point. The, the point is, is that this is a snapshot of what goes on at church. And so the question that we have to ask is, does this sound at all familiar? Like, is this anything like what we see going on at a lot of churches? Not, not even out there, but even here, right? Is this us? And the answer is, yes, this is us. And, and so let me, let me share with you what I think might be the leading way that different doctrines and vain controversies are finding their way into this church body. YouTube. Once again, YouTube. Um, I watched this guy on YouTube. You got to check it out. I can't tell you how many times I have heard that. And I've learned that when I hear someone say that, that my next question is why? It's not okay, it's why? Why should I watch it? Why should you watch it? Because we're responsible to steward our time. Time is precious. And why would I want to invest a single minute watching what some guy who I don't even know who he is has to say? I have no idea what his character is like. I have no idea what his credentials are. And then after watching it, what can I actually expect to take away that's actually edifying and helpful and constructive that doesn't just rile me up on the inside to make me angry or panic attacked or arrogant? You've been there? Um, Vain controversies. The, The principle is this. Deception starts with distraction. Don't forget that. Make sure that your attention is getting directed on things that really matter and that things that you could actually make a difference about, like yourself, like, like the church that's living under your own roof, like the relationships that you have with others, your relationship with the Lord. Deception starts with distraction. But this is church, right? This is a snapshot. This is what you may find going on at any given church on any given Sunday. People promoting things that are just out of line for all kinds of reasons and people ready and willing to waste your time sucking you into foolish controversies. Now, of course, they don't think it's a waste of time. They're convinced it's the absolutely most critical thing that you could ever hear, but it's not. It's a waste of time. And that's why they need to be stopped. So church doesn't turn into the wild, wild west. And, and so this is a picture of the problem. Now let's look at the response. And the response is not, okay, guys, enemies are at the gates. Send in the troops. It's time for the nuclear option. Okay, that's not the response. The response is, 
there's some issues to be addressed. Send in the church leaders. That's what they're for. They are entrusted with the authority to step in and straighten things out when things start going sideways. They have to. There's there's nothing loving about letting the wrong teaching or the, and the wrong teachers just continue to go on unchecked. It's, it's actually dangerous. It, it makes people swerve and wander in their faith. That's how Paul describes it here. It's like driving a car down the highway, and slowly you start drifting past the white lines and over the pavement, onto the dirt, and the next thing you know it, you're stuck in a ditch, and you're asking, how the heck did I get here? And that would be one thing if it were only you, but the thing about teaching is that you're, you're influencing others. And so all those who are listening, they end up right there in the ditch next to you. And that's why it's dangerous. Paul singles out here one profile in particular. Pay attention to this person. Verse 7, those in the church who desire to be teachers without understanding either what it is they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Have you ever met that person? The moment they learn something, instead of taking time to sit with it, to think critically through it, to apply it to themselves and learn more, or, or like Mary, treasure it up in their own hearts, they just immediately turn and start telling everybody that they can, you need to do this. They think they've learned everything. They know everything they need to know, but in reality, they only have learned just enough to be dangerous. And the issue, it's not that this person is bad. It's not that they're evil or anything like that. It's just that they, they need to keep on learning. And again, that's what mature church leadership is all about, to step in not only to shut down, but also to... to, to to build others up if there's teachability. They, they can give instruction and, and add input and provide feedback and correction. Now, now I don't mind telling you, uh, I'll confess, that there was a time when I was that guy. I was the one who knew just enough to be dangerous. And the truth is, most people, if you have a teaching gift, it's kind of how you start out. Right? In my case, I had, a, I had a lot of enthusiasm. I had just a little bit of chip on my shoulder. I hadn't learned the um, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up lesson yet. Right, um, And so I was just way too eager to tell everyone I knew what I was so sure they needed to know. And it didn't matter if they wanted to hear it or not. That was like, so what? You know, this is the truth. You're going to hear it, Right? Aren't you glad you didn't know me back then? <laughs> Actually, some of you did know me back then, and you're nodding your head like, yeah, Brian, that was, that was rough. And all I can say is thank you. You have borne with me in patience. Um, but when someone has, knows just enough to be dangerous, the critical issue is, is teachability. Everything hinges on teachability. If that person's teachable, they can move forward. If there's not, there's no teachability, they're, they're, they're stuck. Um, but that willingness to grow, to learn, to be led, to be invested in by leaders at the local church level, that's, that's a gift. 
That's an awesome thing. But when that teachability is missing and the person, instead of dealing with it, digs in and doubles down, that person can become the most dangerous person in church. Actually, sometimes it's indicative that there is an agenda at play that needs to be um, addressed, that they're operating under some other authority, some outside authority that they're trying to bring into the church. And, and we've dealt with this a few times over the course. We've been at this for many years. And, and, and so we've had, you know, people over time, they come in presuming to be the authority on something and they come, oh, I want to fix these people at this church. They kind of look to, so nice that maybe, maybe they're pushovers. What? They want to fix the worship style. You're not doing that right. You know, fix, fix the way that you interpret Genesis. That's not right. Let me, let me tell you how. Fix whatever it is that secondary issue that they're passionate about. Make it the primary issue in this church. And it's, it just happens. It, it, it happens. And it's highly unlikely that it describes anyone in this room or anyone that's coming to our church. But, but just in case, uh, let me address that. I, I'm a I'm a pretty laid-back pastor. I don't think I've ever been known as a heavy-handed pastor, maybe. But, um, but I, w- I do want you to know that I do take the shepherding role very seriously. And I share that with our elders, and they take it very seriously as well. So we will sit down. We will talk things through with just about anyone. But if that person is stubborn if they're unteachable and they think they have it in them to push an agenda, well, this time, I don't think the quote from President Biden applies. I think there's a better quote. It comes from a Liam Nielsen's character out of the movie Taken. Maybe you remember it where he's on the phone with the terrorists and he says this, I want you to know that I have a very particular set of skills that I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. I'm kidding. Kind of. Um, But make no mistake, that person has been and will continue to be directed to the door. Right? You're welcome to do whatever you want to do, but not here. Not in this house. Go go start your own church. Go find somewhere else to do it. Um, So, you know... Welcome to church any given Sunday. This is us. And the truth is that all of us, we play a part in protecting this house. This is our house. And and that means ministering within, operating within the lines of authority. Know where they are and know where you are. Um, I do have a request for you, for some of you. And, you know, again, there's a church at large here, and there's also specific issues. Um, and so I, I, I do want to make a request, and you probably have guessed already, yes, it's about YouTube, once again. If you have a video of some teacher that you are absolutely convinced, the most important thing is that everyone needs to hear about it, and you're blasting it out. I'm not talking about to a friend or two, but to several or like on a group text with 18 or 20 other guys on it. Here's my ask. Would you funnel that through instead of around 
the church leadership. It's, it's basically asking this, if some teacher were to come through this door and say, hey, I would like to teach your people this seminar and whatever topic it is, we're going to vet them, right? Character matters, content matters. And sometimes YouTube just doesn't allow that. It's a sideways thing. That's my ask. It's not a demand, it's a request. I mean, I, if you will allow me, um, I have a second request. But anyway, before I get to that, I, I just want to say um, it, it hasn't been an issue up to this point. It, it's, it's becoming one in certain areas. It's kind of one of those things that's bubbling over, so that's, that's, that's what I... Um, that's, that's why I'm bringing it to the surface. And so I, my, my second request, if you are, um, can I make a, let me ask. I have to ask because, you know, I don't want to just brush it. May I make a second request? You can say no. I just want to ask. Yes. Thank you. I know that's, that, was, that, was, that was lame. I was going to say it anyway, but I just, <laughs> um, this is it. Crawl out of the YouTube gutter. More books, less YouTube, and the world will be a better place, and this church will be a better place. Now, I say that, of course, here's the crazy thing. I say that even right now as this service is streaming on YouTube live. (laughs) So take it with a grain of salt, right? Um, You know, don't hear what I'm not saying, but... um, but, but what I want to do is, on one level, I just want to so strongly affirm what I see in our church. And there's this desire to learn, to grow, to be informed that is so amazing. And that's happening, and it's a good thing. It excites me like nothing else. But here's the thing. YouTube is about the last place you ever want to go for critical thinking. By design, it is created to do the exact opposite. Have you heard about, I don't know if there's a name for it, but I'm calling it the YouTube doom loop. That's, that's what it is. So, so here's what happens. Once you watch a video, say you watch a video of some hyper-fundamentalist, rigid, self-righteous pastor putting you in a panic because he's railing out against everything, everything, spewing about everything that's wrong. You know what happens after you get to the end of that video? And then up on your YouTube, it says, what to watch next? You know what it is? It's another hyper-fundamentalist, rigid, self-righteous pastor doing the same thing. You know how I know this? Because someone sent me one. I watched it, and it poisoned my feed. Like, I used to, I, I'm not big into YouTube. I watch cycling videos. I watch how to fix my truck. And, and I watch Yacht Rock. Like, that's it. And now it's filled with religious fear mongers. And what it's doing to my feed, the danger is that that would do that same thing to our souls. So listen to Philippians 4.8. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Where's your focus? There's things to be focused on and things that are just going to happen. Put your focus in the right place. It's, it's urgent. The reason it's, it's so urgent to clear out the wrong messages is because the church, this church, 
the church of Jesus Christ is in the broadcasting business. There is an urgent message that the church has been entrusted with. It's, it's the gospel. It's God's message. It's his good news. And, and in God's house, the gospel, his gospel is always the main message. And so that's the, that's the third and final house rule. Keep the gospel front and center. So whatever it is that has your attention, whatever it is that's distracting and has got your focus, turn up the gospel. Tune into the gospel. Get there as fast as you can. And once you get there, crank it up to volume 10 as loud as it can go. And so this is actually what Paul does um, next. This is a bit of a long section, but I'm going to read it through and then we'll just unpack it quickly. Now we know it says that the law is good. And he's talking about these controversies they were wrapped up. And if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly, the sinners, the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, which I have been entrusted. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus." The saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, you know, Steve Covey once wrote that the main thing is to keeping the main thing the main thing. Um, and that's, that's what Paul's doing here. You know, this, this church, Timothy's church, is wrapped up in all these controversies about the Old Testament law. We don't know what it was, but they were, like, consumed about, you know, they're stuck on it. This command, this is right, that's wrong. And, and, and so Paul, he's, he brilliantly redirects them. He says, the point of the commands is to show that we don't keep them. We're all lawbreakers. You want to talk about that guy's bad, this guy's bad, this guy's right? We're right in the same boat. We're all sinners. And sin severs the relationship with God. And he says, if you guys want to bicker about how bad people are, he says, let me save you the trouble. Look at me. He says, I am the worst. I am the worst, foremost of sinners. He doesn't say, I was. He says, I am. So let me save you the trouble is what he's getting at. And that's, that's how he segues to the gospel, right? Because it may sound like bad news. Are you, are you putting yourself down? Is that going to ruin your self-esteem? No, it's good news because it's what the gospel's all about. If we're sinners, we need a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. That's what he's getting at. Jesus came into the world to save undeserving sinners who can never save themselves. That's the whole point he's making. That's, that's the message. Jesus went to the cross 
and died for, for sinners. He did everything that needed to be done to reconcile sinners back to God and make them right again. He didn't do it, in other words, because we're good. He did it because he's good and because we couldn't. And he offers, he holds out salvation, not by works, but by grace. That means free, through no merit of our own. We like to say here that salvation is received, not achieved, by faith, by, by trusting and receiving Jesus into your life. That salvation is bound up in a person. His name is Jesus. And so if you're here, if you're kicking the tires of faith and you're kind of figuring out what is this church thing all about, what is this Christianity all about, this is, this is it, the gospel. It's everything. It is the main message. And if you hear that and you say, I just don't know if this God you're talking about has enough grace to cover all the crap that I've done, Paul says, Look at me. He says, my life is exhibit number one, is the showcase of how amazing the grace of God is. He says, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. It about sums it up. If you know his story, he, he was a terrorist. He tried to exterminate Christians off the face of the planet. He threw them in jail. He even killed Christians. But he says, I'm an apostle. How does something like that happen? The only way that can happen is through the grace of God. There's no other way. There's no religion that can answer that question other than the Christian faith, the reality of grace. And he's saying, if there's enough grace for a person like me, make no doubt, there's enough for you. And the grace of God changes, changes lives. The gospel changes lives and and so we hear the gospel. Sometimes we think about, you know, an evangelistic invitation. And it is that. It's an entryway, how we get into this, this, this walk with the Lord. Um, but it's also more than that. It's not just the first step. The gospel is every step. Every step forward is a step of faith. And the challenge is like sometimes we think that, okay, I'm good to start my Christian walk in grace, in the gospel. I understand what Jesus did for me, but from the point I'm, I'm saved, now I gotta live it out by living by the law, by keeping rules, by doing the right thing. That, that was the danger in, in Timothy's church, and, and that's why keeping the gospel front and center matters so much. And that's why it ends not talking about what are we gonna do for God, but he ends just, in worship, in praise to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. When the gospel is front and center, that's what happens. Praise starts pouring out. When the gospel is front and center, we don't have to hide that we're, we got it all together, right? You've got problems, but I don't. Let me fix you, right? Paul says, I'm, I'm the worst of sinners. Put me right in the middle of it. And the reality is, is if we're honest with ourselves and we're willing to look at the mirror, we are the worst sinner we know. I am the worst sinner I know. You are the worst sinner you know because you know yourself. You know things about yourself that no one else knows. And the only 
way we're actually willing to let that be and be okay with it and not destroy us is because we know that we have a Savior that covers everyone. And so that's why we just make it about Jesus. We crank up the gospel, all he's done for us, and then we respond to that. So house rules, that's why they matter so much because the gospel matters the most. And we don't want to swerve, find ourselves bickering about things that don't matter or talking about ourselves instead of talking about the Lord's stay on track. And last, last passage is, Paul just makes it personal to Timothy. He says, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So we kind of just puts it all before him, lays it out in front of him and says, there's choices to make. It comes down to personal responses and decisions that we can choose to, to, to abide by the house rules, to live this out, to cultivate the life of faith, or we can just let ourselves swerve. And, and he, he names names, and I'm sure in all of our lives we can talk about people. There's people that come to mind that, yeah, they were, they were on track for a while, but not anymore. And and so the, the need is to be intentional about it. He kind of uses like warfare language, right? Fight the good fight. Staying on track is an on-purpose endeavor. There's things we do every day to maintain that track. So what are you going to do?